Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. We are going to continue our study in the book of Philippians. Um, And what Michelle just sung is really what our next passage is all about. As you're turning there, I just... I just want to confess, I I feel so inadequate to bring this message because of the powerful realities contained in this passage to change our lives. I feel such a burden for God's word and that I would rightly handle it and that we would grab a hold of it and be gripped by it. And God would be magnified in it and Christ would be exalted through it. That I've just been pleading over this text and, and even um, last night, you know, just coming up, uh, upon the study and, and standing up here and just praying, God, just bring, bring your word, bring this message. And I just want to once again, just with you all, just praying with me, let's ask that the Lord would do what only he can do in our hearts and to work the miracle of giving us understanding of this passage and then helping us to be gripped by it and live it out. So let's pray. Father, we are in need of you, Lord. We are utterly dependent and utterly needy. And apart from you, we can do nothing. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. But those will just be words if the Spirit does not illuminate it in our hearts, if the Spirit does not come upon the preaching of the Word, if the Spirit doesn't come and minister to our souls, if our hearts are not ready and the soil of our hearts not ready. And so I pray, Father, would you open our hearts to receive this Word? Would you help me to preach faithfully and boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit, self-forgetful, honoring Christ out of a love for your people? out of a love for your people here at Smithfield. God, I pray that you would bless them with this word. And I pray that your spirit would come upon us now. And it would be like a fragrant aroma just welling up in our nostrils spiritually, Lord, that we would get a whiff of what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I just want to I, I read this text up front. I wasn't going to do it, but I, I feel like we just need to get into the text right away. Verse 18, the tail end of that, it says, chapter 1, verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul had just been talking about how he's been exalting in Jesus, glorying in Jesus, excited about the proclamation of Jesus, even if people have bad motives. And then he says, yes, I'm going to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, which we just asked for, the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so you see it. This passage is bookended with a rejoicing. Paul is filled with joy. He's rejoicing and he's desiring the joy of the Philippians. And it's all centered around this honoring of Christ in his body, whether he's living or whether he's dying. And I think about that, and I think about how so many of us live beneath the surface of joy in our lives. We live beneath the surface of joy. If we were to say, what's the distinguishing mark of my life? Maybe joy would not be one of them. And yet, isn't it the American ideal to pursue joy, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Everybody wants joy. Everybody wants happiness. And yet it kind of eludes us. It, is, it's, it, it escapes our grasp. And sometimes we, we, we pursue it in people or we pursue it in things. I'm going to get a better car. I'm going to get a better house. I'm going to get that big screen TV. I'm going to get that Xbox, the next edition. And that's going to... That's gonna, Bring the joy. And yet, it kind of escapes our grasp. But I don't want us to, to, to come away from this that thinking that, oh, if you just pursue your joy, that's terrible. Like God wants you to be a miserable killjoy and just oh, totally grumpy about everything and just kind of dutifully serve Him and life is just terrible. That's not what Paul's after. He's in jail chained to a guard and he's been put in prison for the witness of Christ and he's still saying I rejoice and there's even Christians who are preaching in such a way to belittle Paul and belittle his gifts and belittle his name and he's like you keep preaching because Christ is being proclaimed and even though they meant that to afflict me which verse 17 tells us in this very passage it says the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry and not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment he had Christians wanting to do that have you ever had that Christians that were well-meaning on one level but brought affliction and Paul's like no I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed and now he's going to bring a different joy that's looking to the future of what his whole life is aimed at. He wants you to know that the whole Bible is aimed at your joy. It's aimed at putting your joy in the right place. It's aimed at making sure that the target is the right place. And the target for Paul is to delight yourself in the Lord and to make Christ and His glory your central ambition in life. That's, what the, that's how the Bible talks. 
Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I've got joy for you, the Lord says. Joy and pleasures at my right hand forevermore. Don't settle for all that stuff that's never going to satisfy you. If Jesus isn't the center of your life, if He isn't the blazing furnace of your soul, then you're settling for a lesser joy. C.S. Lewis once said that we so often are far too easily pleased. We settle for mud pies in the slum when a, a holiday at the sea is offered to us. Or maybe to switch the analogy, we settle for all of the secondary things when God has a glorious treasure for us in Christ. We settle for so low a level of joy. And that's what I mean by living beneath the surface of real joy and happiness. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And some of us kind of balk at that joy talk. And maybe our personality is not naturally bubbly and joyful, but this is a pure joy that transcends circumstance. That's why he can be in prison. This is a joy that sustains him in the midst of difficulty, that motivates him, that strengthens him, and it's a joy from having a laser-like focus on Christ and His glory, which I'm going to show you in this passage. He wants us to have an indestructible joy. An indestructible, unshakable joy that actually remains in your life and continues through suffering, through hardship, through highs and lows, but the joy remains because Christ is all. And He is your all. He is your life. And whether you're living for Christ, your life is about Him. And whether you're dying, that's only gain to you. So the title of this message is Indestructible Joy. Living and dying for the glory of Christ. That is what the Bible's all about. That's what Paul's all about. And that's what God would have you get your heart around. And maybe you're coming in here and you're just like, I am all beat up and I've got no, I'm not in touch with that. And I just want the Lord to really baptize you with this kind of Christ-centered joy. This kind of joy that comes from, from that laser focus. And, and, and think about it this way. You know, we live in a solar system where the sun is the center of it. It's the blazing center of our solar system. All the planets rotate and orbit around the sun. Jesus has to be the thing that you orbit your life around. If Jesus is not the center, if your life is not orbiting around him, if it's not about him, if it's not getting the life, the energy, the rays of sunshine shining down on you, strengthening you, we, if there's no sun, this just turns into a rock with no life, and it freezes over. And that's what happens to your Christianity without Jesus at the center, without Jesus being the reason. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. And I want to take us into a picture of what this looks like in three different ways. We're going to see that Christ is the center for Paul, and this indestructible joy comes from, number one, glorifying Christ, honoring Christ in your salvation. Number two, honoring Christ in your death or in your understanding of death, that death is gain for you. It's not like a net failure. It's not like death is a bummer. Death is gain for the Christian. You can't take a Christian's joy by killing him. That's why we had thousands and thousands and thousands of first century martyrs for Christ, because they knew if you kill me, that's only going to bring me into the presence of the Savior. I mean, I, I remember the story of Polycarp. He's, he's, he's a, a bishop of Smyrna. He's one of the disciples of John. And he was just full of love, full of life. And he just preached the word and he was faithful. And this emperor um, at the time, I, th I think it was Vespian, uh, or, or, or one of the emperors following him, he actually wanted to hunt down Polycarp because he did not like Polycarp because Polycarp was, was really kind of infecting Rome with Christianity. And at that time, they were just trying to stomp out the light of the gospel and the light of the church. And so they finally caught up to Polycarp. And Polycarp was just, you know, he was an old man by that point. So he said, hey, you can burn me with a fire that burns temporarily, but you're going to be burned with a fire that lasts forever. And my God shall deliver me from the flame. And ultimately, Polycarp was martyred. And it just infused the church with boldness. Because he came at life like Paul did. To live is Christ and to die is only gain for me. He loved living for Christ. And as we'll see, Paul loves living for Christ. But he realizes ultimately that even his death will be gain to him. And what would happen in our lives if we just caught that? If we caught that kind of vision, that just laser-like focus on Jesus, that living is for Christ and even dying gives glory to Christ. So we're going to get in to our passage in three ways. Point number one, indestructible joy glorifies Christ in salvation. See if you could see this in verse 18 through 20 the tail end of, of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul, if you notice, the end of 18 says that his joy, he's rejoicing. He's saying, yes, and I will rejoice. Why? Verse 19, for, see that word? For, I know that through your prayers, the Philippians prayers, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is dependent not on his own abilities, but on the prayers of the Philippians and the spirit of Jesus working in and through him and empowering him. And then he says this, this is what happens. This is the result. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage, now as always, here, here it is, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, that's just a rock-solid hope. If your life is aimed at honoring Christ in your life and in your death, Paul wants to honor Jesus, make much of Jesus. And this word has the idea of magnify, to make much of, to honor, to glorify. All those words, we just read Psalm 115, not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name we give glory. We don't give it to idols, we give it to Christ. And Paul was like, my life is about Christ. And this, this honoring Christ in verse 19 will bring about, it says, Christ Jesus will turn out for my deliverance. The spirit of Jesus and the prayers of the saints will combine in conjunction and bring about the deliverance of Paul. Well, what's he mean by that? What's he mean? Is he just saying, God's going to get me out of jail? Because Paul already said, hey, I'm chained to this guard and I'm just preaching the gospel. And the gospel has, has taken over. The whole imperial guard knows what I'm here about. People are hearing Jesus. The church is being strengthened. We talked about that all a few weeks ago, right? Paul is just rocking the gospel in that place. So he's not like eager to just try to avoid uncomfortable places he goes into them knowing that God has put him there for the sake of the gospel he's a prisoner of the Lord not Rome but if you notice in verse uh, 19 he knows that the prayers of the saints and the help of the spirit of Jesus will turn out for his deliverance well that's that word deliverance actually means salvation in the Greek it, it, it's the same word Paul uses to talk about salvation all throughout Philippians and it's translated deliverance here, but really if you think about it, Paul is actually saying that I'm after the deliverance, the salvation, I'm after the ultimate vindication of my apostle. My apostle is bearing witness at Rome before tribunals. He's bearing witness for Christ and Paul's like, pray for me, Philippians, pray for me that I'm faithful. Pray for me that I don't swerve or don't... Uh, Shame the gospel. He says that right there in verse 20, right? It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage. This is this idea of just this rock solid confidence, this certain hope, this anticipation. It's kind of like being up on your tippy toes, getting ready to, you know, like the kids looking in for the presents or, or the kids on the way to Disneyland and, and, and they're, they're, they're anticipating it. When we get in there, when we get in there, Paul's like, I know that ultimately God will deliver me and finally I'll be saved and Christ will be vindicated and glorified whether I live or whether I die, whether I, I get the guillotine right here or whether... I live on to preach the gospel. That's what Paul's about. That's the kind of heart he has. And is that, do we pray and do we solicit the prayers of the saints? That's how important the prayers of the saints are. At Smithfield, if we devote ourselves to prayer, 
Our prayers are actually the thing God uses to keep us. And then what he does when we're praying for one another, when we're petitioning before the throne of grace, like, God, would you strengthen us? God, would you give us faith? God, would you give us boldness? God, help us keep us. Keep us to the end. What he does is he sends his spirit, verse 19, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ to empower. Paul was not like a lone wolf kind of super Christian. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't even need your prayer. That's how anointed I am. No, he's, he, he realizes I need the Spirit of God and I need, and he's, he's kind of asking in a way, he's like, I know through your prayers that I will be delivered, that God is sanctifying me, that God is keeping me in this prison cell, a bold witness for Jesus in order to invite them into more prayer. And he's already been praying for, for them, right? You remember, he's, he, he says in verse nine, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul's praying like that. He's like, I want your witness to be bold. I want you to be pure, growing in Christ. And at the day of Christ, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be uh, uh, making much of Jesus. Now, he's not talking about a works-based salvation. He's just talking about the kind of prayers that pray that you to be kept in the faith. And I just want to encourage us, pray like that. Pray, God, would you keep my brother? Would you keep my sister? Would you keep my children? Would you keep my father and my husband and my wife faithful to the end? That's the kind of talk that brings about indestructible joy in glorifying Christ through your life. Because you're putting the spotlight on God to do the work. And you're putting the spotlight on the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit that comes on the church to fill them with boldness, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or listen to Acts 4. This is, this is kind of how the church prays. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word with boldness. May the Lord baptize us with that kind of boldness. And may we really cry out in fervent, Faithful prayer. Paul is soliciting that kind of prayer from his beloved Philippian church that he planted. And he's like, pray like that. And that's how we ought to pray. That's why we emphasize that Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because it is, and if you can't be there, pray with us on Wednesday night. You kneel before the Lord and you ask the Lord to minister and move upon the gospel as we preach. But that's why we emphasize prayer. That's why everything we do has to be fueled by prayer, fueled by a power of the Spirit. And, and the way you get empowered by the Spirit is what? You pray in the Spirit. 
That's exactly what Paul teaches us in um, Ephesians 6, right? Praying in the Spirit always. Pray that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, I remember a, a story of uh, some guys who once talked to Charles Spurgeon, who's a hero of mine, a faithful preacher. He was like the Billy Graham of England in the uh, 19th century. And he was just one of the most anointed, spirit-filled preachers. And he preached more than anybody I know of. In the English language, there's not a greater body of work in English, in print, by one person than by Charles Spurgeon in all his printed sermons. That's how much he preached. And so one day somebody was, and he also was a very exquisite sufferer. His wife was an invalid. He suffered from gout, chronic pains. He was maligned constantly by the newspapers, um, trying to really sabotage the gospel, but he just remained faithful. And one day somebody asked him, you know, how do you do all this stuff? How do you get all this, the, uh, preach all the sermons? How do you negotiate all this stuff? Take care of your wife. How do you do all of that? You do the work of two men. And he said, without batting an eye, only Spurgeon could do this. He said to him, you forget, there's two of us. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers him to do that. And the Holy Spirit will empower us in our ministry. But we have to be commending the prayer and we have to be that kind of a prayer warrior. And Paul is just after that. I know it. I know with a certainty that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my salvation. And I expect it to happen. It's prayer that prevails and expects God to work. Prayer of faith. And there's going to be no shame in it. Look at verse 20. He says, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's another reason I think this passage is talking about salvation, because Paul is talking about being put to shame. And we already know that he's been preaching and been faithful in prison. But he's talking about this, this day when he stands before the Lord. He wants to live a life that counts. A life that has the blazing center of Christ glorifying Jesus. And when he stands before the Lord, there's no shame. Because he lived for Christ. And even his view of death, dying was gain. So that brings us to our next point. Indestructible joy glorifies Christ in dying. What does that look like? What does it look like? Look at verse 20 with me. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means in his body, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So we get the idea of what Paul is after in saying that death is gain at the end of verse 23. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. It's far better to be present with the Lord in glory 
But it's more necessary on the account of the Philippians and the progress of the gospel that Paul stay and minister. How many of us know that reality, that tension, when we've had a loved one in Christ, a dearly beloved loved one who we're like, I'm hard pressed between the two. I want them to go and be with the Lord, but I want them to stay because it's more needful for me. And Paul has that wrestling, but he views death as gain because when you have Christ, death's not the end. He triumphed over death. Jesus defeated death. He swallowed it up in victory. And so the Christian doesn't look at death as like this thing. I'm just going to avoid at all costs. He can take risks, walk into tough situations like the Apostle Paul and say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because the blazing center of my life, the target I'm aiming at, the orbit that I'm orbiting around is Christ. And he's the one who he, he defeated death forever. And he's the invincible life that is in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And you are a Christian. You're here today because Jesus ultimately rescued you. And then he sent his spirit to indwell in you. And you're his. And the spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And the indestructible life of Christ is in you. And so you can face death knowing that it's not the end to live is Christ to die is gain and it's more desirable to be with Christ forever dying is graduation day dying is celebration because you go from living in this world to living with Christ and you see him face to face and your eyes behold him and you get a new body That'll never wear out. New heaven, new earth. And there'll be a feast, it says. Because there's an idea here that the things that we love in this life, like a good barbecue or like a banquet or like the, the, the things we enjoy are just pale echoes of what heaven will be like. And when you have Christ, you know that death is the entrance into something glorious. It's a graduation it's not annihilation. It's not going to sleep. It is life eternal in the presence of God, enjoying him forever. And that's why the psalmist could say, we read earlier, you know, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's like, I've got a, I've got a, a palette of pleasure for you. And it's pure and good and right. And it's for what you've been designed for. And when I'm the center of heaven, when, my, when you're orbiting around heaven and Christ is the center, then heaven is sweet. And it's not a snooze fest where you're up on clouds, you know, and, you know playing harps. It's to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, Paul said. And it's far better. But he's going to wrestle with this tension because it's, it's more needful for him to stay. Unless we think that this is just like super Christian Paul, and this isn't for us. Because I know some of y'all are like, okay, you know, Paul can, can think like that, but I've got to live in the real world. Well, Paul most certainly lived in a horrid real world where he was actually in prison when he wrote this letter. So let us not forget that Paul went through hard times. But I'm reminded of, of John Patton. And, and John Patton said stuff like this, too. He was a missionary to Australia uh, in an island called New Hebrides. 
And this island was filled with cannibals. And the missionaries that went to it before him were eaten by the cannibals. So it wasn't a good prospect to go there. And, and people were worried. And he had a faithful ministry. He had a faithful pastorate. He was leading a lot of people to Christ in the inner city. And a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Why are you going to the cannibals? You're nuts. You want to take the gospel to the cannibals when you've got a fruitful ministry here? And he had to wrestle with that. But um, one person said, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. What's wrong with you? And this is what Patton says. This is only, only he could talk like this. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. And I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, sounds like Paul, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior and Redeemer. You change the world with that kind of a vision. You change your life with that kind of vision. When that gets blazed into your heart, it doesn't matter what's going on around your life. You're not going to be panicking, biting your nails all the time because to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'll go to, I'll take the gospel to the cannibals. And he ended up bringing the gospel there and God blessed it through many hardships. But now that island has a church presence. And this was over a hundred years ago. I love reading church history because God reminds me that he's working in these kind of ways here and now. This isn't something that was just like in the Bible times, this is where God worked. And right now it's just like nothing's happening. No, God works that way now. God can work that way in your life. God can give you that kind of boldness to live as Christ, to die as gain. And you have that heart where you see death is not the ultimate end for you. And you don't have to fear it the way others fear it. And you feel it's a different sting even when a loved one dies. Paul encourages us to say, don't, don't be discouraged as those who have no hope. Know that one day they'll rise again. They're going to be with Christ. And, and, and it's far better to, to be with Christ. But it's more necessary, Paul said in this passage, that he stay and be with them. Now, here's the cool thing. For those of us who are like, well, you know, sounds like he's more keen on dying right now. Paul wants to stay because what happens as you serve the Lord and, and your days are numbered. The Lord has you right where he wants you. And you're going to have as many days to live as the Lord has purposed because you're in his hands. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every hair on your head and your days are numbered in fashion. Psalm 139 says before there was any of them. So you don't have to worry about how long am I going to live because God's got that and you don't have to worry about that. Be faithful and live in this way. And ultimately, as you're faithful and Christ is the blazing center and honoring and making much of him with all of your life, will bring about more reward in eternity. Isn't that cool? God is, it, it's like you're storing up treasure in heaven. In fact, Jesus talked like that, and so did Paul. All through the Bible, there's this idea that one day God is going to reward his people for faithfulness. 
And so all of these things are not, you know, to live for Christ and it's a bummer. No, this is an indestructible joy. When you begin to live self-sacrificially and pour yourself out for others and you're about the church, which Paul just, he had the church on his radar and, and he worked in the church. He served to, to help the church flourish. He was, he was asking the question and you guys should be asking too, how is my life impacting the church for the glory of Christ? Am I occupying a pew or am I invested And I don't say that to be heavy. I say that because I'm zealous for your joy. I want to see your joy in Christ just ignite as you begin to serve Him in selfless ways, sacrificially, boldly, taking risks for the glory of God. Pick up the phone. Call a lost friend. Call that family member you haven't reconciled with. Do the work of Christ for the glory of His name. Live in these ways. This is what Paul's commending. Back to our text. If I am in the flesh, verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary on your account. Real quick, a little theology about death. Number one, when you die, your body goes into the grave. And your spirit goes to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's called the intermediate state. It's between our resurrection when we get new glorified bodies and when we actually die physically. So when you die, your body goes to the grave, your spirit goes with Christ, and then when Jesus comes back, And when he comes to conquer in glory, he gathers his elect, his bride from every corner of the earth and in heaven, and he gathers them up and he raises up new bodies for them and they're glorified like in the twinkling of an eye. Their bodies are changed. The mortal takes on immortal, the perishable, imperishable, and you're glorified and your bodies are raised up and you're totally renewed. And if you saw what that looked like, you would not even reckon, you would probably fall down and worship what you will look like in glory. That's how glorious you will look because Christ is formed in you and you behold Jesus and you see him face to face and you will be like him and you'll be casting crowns at his three feet. You won't be divine. You'll be glorified humanity. You'll you'll look the way it was always intended. Death will be no more. Suffering will be no more. Hardship will be no more. The former things will be passed away. Sin will be no more. Can you imagine? You're not going to sin anymore one day after you die. Okay, that's our little excursus, a theology of death. But let's get on to the business of living. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So he fleshes out a little bit in the next verse, 22, what it means to live for Christ. It means fruitful labor is before me. So God doesn't just want us 
twiddling our thumbs. He wants us laboring for the gospel. He wants us to have fruitful labor. Paul was, was busy about missionary work. He was bold preaching the gospel in prison, and he was serving the church, writing letters in his spare time so that we could be edified and God would preserve them because they're the spirit-inspired word of God that we would be blessed by them. As I'm heralding the message right now, this came from Paul's pen as he was in prison to help us. And the Spirit is bringing that word to us so that we'll know God wants you to live fruitfully for the glory of Christ. If Jesus is the locust of your life, then the center and the goal and His glory and making much of Him is what your labor is about. Oh, that's where the joy comes. That's where the indestructible joy comes. That's why Paul could say at the beginning... Uh, verse 18, yes, I will rejoice. And at the end, notice he says in verse 25, convinced of this, meaning he's going to stay on our account, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul wants them to know his fruitful labor is going to bring about the progress and the joy of faith in his people. He's like, I want to stay so that I can have joy and that your joy may be full and you will be progressing in the gospel and your faith will be flavored with this glorious, happy joy that transcends difficulty, suffering, and hardship that goes over and above the stuff. So joy comes in the morning after a long night of suffering. Joy comes in the morning. Sometimes we think of joy as sequential to suffering. We suffer, then we're joy later. But Paul also says that we're sorrowful and always rejoicing. And he can say in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And we talked about last week how our, our trials are designed to bring about our joy. So it's just joy everywhere for Christians. If we will aim at Christ, if we will look to him, trust him, cling to him, live out our lives for his glory. So what's that look like for you? How are you doing that? If, if, if we were to, to, to write down a few things, what would be your things? What am I doing? That's fruitful labor for Christ. And I want to encourage you to just get fired up to live for Christ and to begin to pray and ask God, how can I use my gifts in this church to build it up? How can I use my gifts to share the gospel? How can I use my gifts to serve and to be a part of what the Lord is doing? And many of you are, are, are serving faithfully, and please don't hear, don't hear that as a condemnation. Hear it as an inspiration to begin to just live full out, full tilt for the glory of Christ, aiming at Him so your joy is full. And then our joy, our progress and our joy in the faith will be strengthened. It's reciprocal. If I'm up here and I'm just like, you know, the Apostle Paul says... Live for Christ, die is gain. And I'm not excited about it. You're not going to believe it. You know why? Because I don't believe it. But if I'm preaching it like I believe it, because I do, because this is real, because the Spirit of God is testifying to you right now that He is about the glory of Christ and producing a joy in your heart and a progress in your faith. And as I preach the gospel, the Spirit of God is doing that in your heart this very moment, building you up in the most holy faith so that you can go out and live it out before a watching world. Man, light the world on fire with that. That's what God wants to do. 
He doesn't want false Christianity. He doesn't want fake Christianity. He wants the real deal. Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that if I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And then look at this, verse 26, so that, here's the result, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So get ready to glory in Christ Jesus because Paul's going to come back to the Philippians, or he's hoping that he'll be able to. And they're like, oh, that's just going to be more joy for us as we're served and helped. And then we go out and, and we bring about Paul's joy. And he was just talking about at the beginning of the letter how he rejoices and thanks God always for them when he remembers them in prayer. It's like a boomerang of joy just so that we can be full in Christ. And that's what our lives need to be about. There's a bullseye for your life. And Christ and His glory, making much of Him, delighting in Him, savoring Him, being satisfying in Him, treasuring Him above all else, that's what it's about. That's what Christianity is about. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because it won't be about getting a Porsche, it'll be about Christ. Your desire will be for him. Is that your desire? Is that welling up in your heart even now as I talk? Do you long for that? Do you long for that? Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you've never had Christ. Maybe you're lost in your sin and you need to call out to him to rescue you because he lived among us a perfect life. He died upon a cross. His blood was spilt. He was the sinless savior and his blood was spilt for you and I so that if we believe on him, we might be forgiven, made new, justified in the sight of God. And one day we could say with Paul, vindicated before the throne of grace. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there's no other way to live your life. Don't settle for a false happiness that is in the stuff that is temporary, that flounders and goes away. It's like a child with a toy. It's fun for a week and then it's like old news and you want the new one. Your life will never be satisfied that way. You need Christ. You need Christ in your heart. You need Christ in your soul. Come to Him. Believe on Him. He will rescue you. I promise you, if you put your trust in Him, Christ is all and in all and through all. If you will come to Him, He will save you. He will rescue you from your sins. This very moment, this very hour, do not delay, but come to Christ. He is your Savior. And He saves all who draw near to Him in faith. Believe. I once heard a illustration about what it means to trust in Christ. And I've shared this with you before. It means like a chair. You make a chair. You, you don't really trust this chair that it can hold you up unless you sit in it. But I want to put a little spin on it from this passage, because it's not just about making the chair. It's not just about sitting in the chair and trusting the chair, but it's about your enjoying the chair. It's about being on your best recliner and, and you just trust it with your life. And it's a joyful experience because Christ is better. He's sweeter than honey. He's better than anything else. He's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure that you were made to taste and see. And you were meant for him and your souls will be restless until you rest in him. So, indestructible joy comes from Knowing that you're glorifying Christ in your salvation. You're glorifying Christ even in your dying. And you're glorifying Christ through your living. 
So let's get busy living for Christ's glory and dying for his glory when that day comes. For death will be only gain to us. What does it profit if we gain the whole world, but we lose our souls? But if we have Christ, we have everything we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul. We pray that we would have his heart. And Lord, I just pray if there's some in here who don't know you, who need to put their trust in you, Lord, that they would this very moment say, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died to save me. He died to bring me an indestructible joy. And I pray, Lord, that you would save me and rescue me. I believe. Send me your spirit in my life, the spirit of Jesus, and rescue me and make me new. I, 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 all I have, I give to you. And I want to enjoy you forever. Lord, do that work. And if, if we're believers in here and we're trusting the Lord, may the blazing center of our life be Christ. May the reason we live be for Christ, for his glory, for his honor, for his praise. And may this be an indestructible, invincible, unshakable joy that does not fade because it's not in the superficial stuff of this world, but it's in the rock-solid realities of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.